You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group. www.americantheatre.org Hi, I'm Deep Tran, editor at American Theatre magazine. And I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic. And we're your token theater friends, people who see way too much theater and are usually the only people of color in the room. And that's why we started this podcast 525,600 minutes almost ago. Uh, how's your year been, Jose? Wonderful. Yeah, and this on this episode, we are doing our top five shows of the year. Jose and I have crafted individual lists, which we did not talk about beforehand, and we're going to present them to each other and see if we either have different tastes or if we spend way too much time together. Uh, Jose, first off, how many shows have you seen this year? By the end of the year, I will have seen 253 shows. And... How many days did you not see a show? The rest of the days, I guess. Like a hundred days. I don't know math. Like, like a presidency. Yeah, yeah. like the rest <laughs> of the day. I don't. I don't. I'm not good with math. I don't know <laughs> the rest. How about you? A uh, hundred and twelve shows. Just that many. I mean, counting the, including the ones that I saw multiple times, which I will talk about. But you make me feel like I don't love theater enough. Hey, we you know? all have our different things that we like doing. And you, then I guess you'll be surprised or shocked even to realize that by 2019, I hope to enter the 300 shows realm. And at that point, he will get his own star outside of the Lucille Hotel Theater. <laughs> Just kidding. That'd be weird. Hopefully. Hey, I will petition for you to get that star because you've done a great service to the industry by showing up almost 300 times to the theater. Well, I don't want a star. I'm just happy to go see the stars. (laughs) Happy to. We're all happy to be here, folks. Okay, so how should we do this, Jose? Do you do we alternate? Do we? each present let's alternate let's alternate let's okay, start with we, number five number five my number five show for this year was and this is mostly new york because new york is where we're based and if we had to see 300 shows around the country i think we would destroy the environment because carbon and our backs from all the traveling yeah but our number five show that played in new york this year was my number five show that played in new york this year was dance nation by claire baron it played at playwrights horizons and it was about a group of teenage girls who are who are competing in dance competitions and how their friendship and it's about like ambition and being competitive and how it's and how lonely being ambitious can be when you're that young and also about like friendship and sexual development and just camaraderie between girls which is nice because as a as someone who used to be a teenage girl I spent a lot of time on buses with the rest of my color guard girls going to competitions and so it was like a trip down memory lane for me i loved it and it had like the best line all year which is i hope my soul is as perfect as my pussy 
So thank you, Claire Barron. You better get that on a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I want to start my list by mentioning that as much as I would have loved to include Daniel Fish's revival of Oklahoma, it was not eligible for my own personal list because I saw it at Bard a few years ago, and it was my number one show of 2015. That list is out there on the internet somewhere, and you'll find it at number one. (laughs) So I love you, Oklahoma, and I'm so glad that you're coming to Broadway. But it would not be fair to me to include it on three different years, which technically now I think I could. So You make your own rules, Jose. You can do it. Well, I won't. Okay, fine. I'll do it. My... But you didn't see it at Bard. No, no, but I'm doing it this year because I saw it this year. And also next year? Maybe. Oh, God. Well, my number five show is Marcus Gartley's The House That Will Not Stand, which played at mm. New York Theater Workshop during the summer. I wish I'd seen it. It was an adaptation of Federico Garcia Lorca's The House of Bernarda Alba. And it was, hands down, I think one of the most astonishing ensembles, all female ensemble that I have ever, ever, ever seen. It was set in the summer in Louisiana where three uh, daughters and their mother were coming to terms with the fact that their father had just died. But there's like a long history of, you know, family secrets. And the show is also set during a time when slavery was still happening in America. And one of the subplots includes the house slave. And we see how she yearns to become a free woman. And overall, it was just just such a wonderful production that, uh, you know, like it, it did such a great job of reminding us what Lorca and why this particular play could be so malleable and could work as it did when Lorca wrote it, but it could also have so much to say about American black women during the 19th century. Yeah. So I love this show. And it's going to be made into a movie. That's right. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the show, go see the movie. Jose recommends it. I can't wait to see who they cast. Mm. So what's your number four? My number four is something you haven't seen yet, I know. It's Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. I'm covering my ears. <laughs> Are you going to spoil it? Because then I'll leave the room. I, I'm not talking about themes. I'm talking about themes. Right. As of this recording, it is still running at New York Theater Workshop. So stop listening to me and just run to see it. Because... It is one of those plays that you go in thinking it's going to be one thing because, oh, slave play, of course. And then it turns into something completely different. And I'm rarely ever surprised in the theater anymore because, you know, we see 100 to 300 shows a year. So most of the tropes, like, we have seen them. And for this one, like, when it turned, I didn't expect it. And then... Even though the title, so it takes place in a plantation, but it also takes place in the modern day. And it is about generational trauma and interracial relationships and how, and how the race, the racist history of this country reverberates to this day. But then it made me think of, 
it made it made me think of my own relationships with non-Asian people. I mean, it made me think of my own relationships with white men and when the first time that I realized that whiteness was the most desirable thing to have and how we I was never taught that, but it was just like inceptioned itself into my brain by virtues of representation and then what that means and how it affects how I view myself. And how it and what it means to devalue yourself when you put yourself in relation to whiteness. So it was like so many ideas, and they all hit close to home, and it was uncomfortable and hilarious. And you should all stop listening to me right now and go buy tickets. That was my number four. So what's your number four? I think it's undeniable that Broadway has been failing women (laughs) in terms of you know how many playwrights and how many musical book writers are women. So it's always such a delight for me to see when the actresses in the shows become the authors of the show in a way. And it's like, you know, I always say that Meryl Streep does that in movies, like where people are like, they don't go like, oh, this is a, you know, X writer, an X writer movie, but this is a Meryl Streep movie. Mm. So for my number four, I want to mention two performances that transcended the book that they were in, that transcended the musical they were in, and became something worthy of including in my favorite list of the year. And it's a tie between Latron's in Summer, the Donna Summer musical, and Stephanie J. Block in The Share Show. I think it's not a coincidence that both women are, you know, the the most famous women in their casts, and they're both given the task of playing one of three versions of the same character. So Lachance plays Donna Summer at like height Donna Summer when she was already a superstar. And Stephanie J. Block plays the share that we remember, the share that we come to think of. She's the share in Moonstruck, the share that wore all those outrageous costumes to the Academy Awards. The share was singing with sailors and if I could turn back time when people were saying that she was too old and that she should not be showing her ass. So these two actresses I think are giving the most extraordinary performances of their careers and I love the fact that despite the many problems within their shows and both shows had problems with the book Stephanie and Lachance are just in another like stratosphere. They're just, it's just like, if they weren't already stars, this would be like star making performances. So bravo to these two women for becoming authors of their work on Broadway and reminding us why we need more strong female characters and strong voiced female performers on Broadway. Wait, we, we, we can do a tie? We can do whatever we want. You just oh said, you literally just said, we can make up our own rules like a while ago. So what's your number three? Man, I wish I'd known we could do ties. I mean, all lists always allow for ties. Yeah, but I usually find it kind of a cop-out. It's like, just just take one, just kill a darling, just kill a darling and take one out. And just well, like do I it like a... I made a, I made a point of why I was including both performances in the single like, item. What's your number three? And my number three is something that you can't have on your list. It's Oklahoma. 
Daniel Fish's revival of Rodgers and Hamstein's classic musical. It played at St. Anne's Warehouse in Brooklyn. Um, if you go back two episodes, we interviewed the star of Oklahoma, Rebecca Naomi Jones, one wonderful. One of the things I loved most about, about this Oklahoma was the score and how they re-orchestrated the entire thing to sound like contemporary country folk music. Because I, and I think like, I think when we talk a lot, when we talk about reinvention, we don't always talk about like reinventing the music and reinventing the musical idioms to sound more contemporary. They kept the lyrics, but like they added guitars and they added banjos and they made it sound like something that, you know, like Aeneas Mitchell or, or like Bonnie Vare could have composed like yesterday. So like that is, and it's so genius. And that plus the performances of all of the actors in the show, like it made it seem like this was an Oklahoma that was created today. And I never expected that because if you know me, I don't like happy things. And, but I really loved this, even though I have some issues. I have some issues with some directorial choices, but even though I have issues, it still stands out in my head as like one of the most memorable things I saw this year. And I'm glad it's going to Broadway. And I'm very sad Jose can't put it on his list, but you know, we know he loves it. Yeah, I love it. Don't be sad about my... It was my number one show of 2015. It's fine. <laughs> that such a big yeah, Jose called it first. You loved it before most other people did. Well, I mean, I'm not a hipster. I don't care who loves what first. All right, it's fine. But just saying, it's like you know trends. Always, always follow this this dude. No, I don't know trends. Stop, stop. Okay, it's like stop being so humble. Well, like you know things. Well, that's my personality. Anyway, I'm moving on. Okay, I was not expecting Federico Garcia Lorca to show up on my top five of the year so many times, and yet here I am, almost more than nine months, no pun intended, later. And I'm still thinking about Simon Stone's adaptation of Yerma, which played this, you know, this, what was it, like the end of winter, the beginning of spring at the uh, Park Avenue Armory. Simon Stone took Federico Garcia Lorca's 1934 play about a poor woman who could not get pregnant and how that makes her descend into madness. And he turned it into one of the most exciting experiences that I've ever had at the theater. Everything was set in this glass box where we saw Billy Piper give perhaps the performance of the year. I mean, I was if this has had been on Broadway, I think she would have given Glenda Jackson a run for her money, definitely. And I love how much Simon Stone took the text that Lorca wrote and he turned it into something that was you know, it's so modern, and, and I know that's not necessarily like the best adjective, but the, the way that he used music, for instance, in the way that paid tribute to Lorca without recreating how Yerma was written, I thought it was absolutely astonishing. And just in terms of like the production design and the performances, I mean, Billy Piper by herself is just like a reason to buy a ticket. So Yerma's my number three. Uh, deep. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is Blacklight by Daniel Alexander Jones, which is, is not so much a 
theater experience. It was like more of a cabaret with storytelling, uh, where Dan Alexander Jones, dressed as his alter ego, Jamama Jones, talks about hope and moving past despair, which is hopeful, but at the same time, like realistic. And like one of the best lines in the show for me is like is at the top where Jamama says like what if I tell you we were all I'm paraphrasing but where Jamama says what if I tell you everything will be all right and what if I told you that not everyone is going to make it which is kind of I think is a good way to sum up human history in general and also just the music and the costume changes. It left me feeling thoughtful, but also exhilarated. And also I saw it twice. So any show I, I have time to see twice is going on my list. It's so, it makes me so happy. It makes me happy talking about it now. Okay, okay, what's your number two? My second favorite show of the year was Fairview by Jackie Sibley's Jury that played at Soho Rep over the summer. And it was this spectacular genre bending experience where you went in thinking that you were about to sit down for an 80s type sitcom about an african-american family getting together for a birthday and then it became a deconstruction of race in america and not just like a deconstruction of race in this you know didactic way but funny and sometimes really 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 disturbing and it made use of sound in a way that i didn't see in any other show this year like i love how at one point one of the the mini acts within the one act play turned into a podcast where we were listening to white people narrate what the african-american characters were doing on stage and I, I think the show became a great barometer for what kind of critics I respect and what kind of critics I appreciate. And just seeing how many critics wrote about how they were not the right person to write about this show, but then they still went ahead and wrote about it, had in many ways even more to say than the show itself. So thank you to Jackie Sibley's jury for you know showing us this mirror of what America is today. Um, Deep, what's your number one show this year? I wasn't sure if, if I wanted to add Fairview, and then I saw Slave Play, and then it kind of knocked it off, so I'm sorry, Fairview. Why are you apologizing to shows? I don't know. Hey, it doesn't mean, like, I don't love you if you're not on my list. I love, I love all of my children. Do you have, but- like, honorary mentions? Did you prepare those? I did prepare honorary well, mentions. You mentioned those at the end, so you can okay. stop apologizing for... I mean, I don't think any of our shows overlap. No, we. What kind of taste do we have, Jose? Well, we're different people. We're different people. So, what's your number one? Um, my number one would not be a surprise if you follow me on Twitter. It is "What the Constitution Means to Me" by Heidi Schreck, and as of this recording, it's currently running at the Greenwich House Theater in the. West Village through December 30th. And then after that, it's it's going to be in D.C. at Willie Mammoth Theater in March. And so if you don't catch it now, then you can catch it in D.C. And it is about Heidi Schreck recreating the speech she gave when she was 15. But it's also about the legacy of America and how women and people of color and people who have been marginalized 
by society, like how we have not been protected under the Constitution and how we have fought to be recognized and what that means for the future and what that means living in this time right now and how we mo- and how we move forward when the government and a constitution disappoints us and i also love that it was hopeful but it but like black light like it didn't coddle the audience into thinking everything's going to be okay when it's not but it gave you the tools to go home and to take action and realize in the words of Abraham Lincoln that don't think about overthrowing the constitution but overthrowing the evil men who abuse it I love that show so much and uh, and what's your number one show people usually blame critics book, film critics and theater critics and book critics and music critics for just remembering what came out at the end of the year when they're preparing their end of the year lists mm. and I was very uh, I was quite surprised to realize that all my favorite shows this year had opened and most of them had closed before the summer even so my number one show of the year is a show that at the expense of sounding extremely corny I have missed like hell ever since I saw it the last time. <laughs> and it's uh, Chiara Alegria Hudes and, and Erin McKeown's Miss You Like Hell, which I saw all the way back in April at the public theater. And I think the more that the year went by and the more that the year went on and like the more that I listened to the music and the more I thought about the beautiful performances by Daphne Rubin Vega and Giselle Jimenez who play a mother and daughter who are separated by the ridiculous immigration laws in the United States, the more it became the show that I would always, that I will always remember 2018 for. And it's a show that, you know, for better or for worse, also encompasses what America is today and the joy that people in government seem to be getting out of separating families when families should be together. Like, that's no, it's no rocket science. The music was absolutely gorgeous, and as a Latin X person living in in America, it was just so refreshing to see strong female Latin X characters who were given their own agency, who were given these beautiful personalities. And as it always happens with the best shows, after seeing Miss You Like Hell, I could imagine what lives for the characters would be like and you know what the characters are still with me so thank you Kiara and thank you Erin and Daphne and Giselle for for your beautiful work yeah. it means yeah it meant the world to me yeah and you can listen to the Miss You Like Hell cast album wherever you listen to music and if you buy the physical album you'll get liner notes written by one Jose Solis so congratulations Jose I know, but still, that's how much you love the show. Well, it's not about me. Yeah. Um, what are your honorary mentions? Okay. Well, I would like to mention the shows that couldn't make my list, and they were Teenage Dick, The Amateurs, Lewis and Clarkson, and Head Over Heels, which I absolutely adored. Yeah. Um, my shows I didn't that I wanted to also mention was Fairview as well and Straight White Men by Young Jin Lee and Jerry Springer the musical, which was surprisingly enjoyable. But I don't know. I feel like after this year, 
because at the, at the beginning of the year, I was feeling a little bit fatigued with theater, actually, because I feel like you can only, as a person of color, you can only be sitting, be the only person of color sitting in a theater for so long watching white people just argue with each other over a couch before you realize what is it that I'm doing and why I'm, why, what is this art form? And I feel like this year, I've seen so much great work by women and people of color and great work that is boundary breaking and that is asking questions of our contemporary time and and that feels like urgent and relevant and challenging and hopeful and uh, that it made me realize like and makes a case for why we still go to the theater so often and so thank you everyone who is still fighting the good fight and who's challenging yourselves and the audience. I love you all. Do you have any thoughts about how this year went for you? Well, unlike you, I never have theater fatigue. Someone (laughs) asked me the other day, someone went like, oh, you see so many shows every day. Like, I wouldn't want it to become a chore. And I don't think it, it definitely hasn't yet. And I don't think it ever will. Like, I love going to the theater. And John Waters, in an interview uh, that I listened to recently, was saying how he thought that there was no such thing as a bad movie because even in movies that people didn't necessarily love, he would just sit there and be haunted or be, you know, bewitched by something like a lamp that he loved in a movie. And he said, as long as they have like lamps that I like in movies, then I'm always going to love going to the movies. So it's the same for me in theater. I'm hoping every show still has a lamp that I love looking at. And so far, that's been the case even after 253 shows in 2018. So I just love all theater. So thank you for existing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hope you find your lamp in a the theater. And we hope you've had a good 2018. And thank you for listening to us. You know, write to us if you have shows that you loved. Like, what was your favorite thing that you saw this year? And, you know, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And remember to review and rate us. That would be awesome. And if you like to watch us talk, you can watch, you can do that on YouTube. And in 2019, what are we doing? Well, lots of things. But first up, in January 12th, we are going to be at Broadway Con with Token Theater Friends Live with special guests, composer Max Vernon and performance artist, playwright, extraordinary human being, Diana O. So we hope to see you there at 3 p.m. It's a Saturday. It might be cold, but just wear a sweater. No excuses. Be there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's been a good year, Jose. Thank you for being my friend. Merci. Likewise. And remember, theater is more fun when you take a friend. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. Bye. Don't drink too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't. I don't want people to get cirrhosis.